Honey, I wish you all could hear before the record button is hit. <laughs> Dr. Carol's like, we're going to talk about that. And every time I get an arrow through my heart, I'm so scared. <laughs> so, I want to talk about regrets. I just want to talk about the Invisalign that are sitting on the podcast suite desk. No, we're going to talk about regrets. I just want to talk about those, though. You know why? Because I am avoiding. <laughs> I only have I only have one more week with these, and then I get my last set. My teeth are straight and still fangy, but Invisalign's been legit. Avoidance is legit, too. <laughs> Avoidance is legit, too. Welcome to this episode of You'll Die Trying. I was driving uh, down the highway the other day, and I passed by a uh, a John Conti coffee truck, and I just had this sense of of pride. I'm so grateful. I know you are too. We are grateful to the people of John Conti for sponsoring our podcast. You'll die trying. Not only am I grateful and have a sense of pride in in, in who they are and what they do and their belief of us, but to be honest, I'm just. I'm grateful for the coffee. My wife is an avid coffee drinker. She loves the stuff. I'm trying to learn how to to drink it on the daily. And now I do. You're doing a really good job, Dr. Carroll. Every day we get to enjoy that nice John Conti cup. But I have to ask, whenever it was, you were driving past that truck, was your mouth salivating? It, the picture on the side of the truck was With all so, the beans. Um, oh, four thousand or so pounds of beans a day roasted uh, here in Kentucky to prepare the country in its six thousand stores for John Conti coffee. Not to mention the tea, the water, and the lemonade. The side of the truck said it for me. <laughs> You were probably wanting to follow it. I did for a while. Yeah, did you? The guy said he didn't have anything on board that was hot and fresh and ready when I pulled him over. <laughs> when you pulled him over? Flagged him over. <laughs> well, we're grateful every single day to brew John Conti coffee and products in our funeral homes. Obviously, all of our lounges are offering this delicious coffee to all the loved ones that we are caring for in all these communities that we're serving. We're grateful for. We only want the best in our funeral homes, and John Conti is that, the absolute best. It is a real thing. That coffee is delicious. I love it, and I haven't even been a coffee drinker. Now I am. Thanks, John Conti. Now I'm addicted to your coffee, but it's delicious. Uh, Everybody needs to go and try it. I'm going to go get another cup right now. So I have people in my life who are so full of regrets that they start regretting things before they even do them. That's not me. They call it pregret. That's not true. It's true. Is this true? Yeah, they will so anticipate with sheer doom my ears are hot or fear <laughs> or a sense of uh, anticipatory guilt that they will already regret something before they've done it and it's not like what they're going to do is going to be bad but they're not convinced of that yet they pregret it like someone's going to say you know what i need to have a difficult conversation with someone in my life or i think i need to to change jobs or i need to follow this dream oh boy that is not going to go well you have ever said that to yourself oh that's not going to go well i probably regret I, okay, well, have you? I probably have, I guess. I don't know, I'm deflecting. Yeah, I, I guess we all have. Maybe? No? Of course I have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think regret is a kind of punishment. Do you really think so? Yes, I think guilt is um, a wasted emotion. I'm saying this, by the way, in 
a context uh, where, in our country anyway, guilt has been used as one of the primary tools, if not weapons, of entire systems, religious systems, etc., where guilt is the kind of thing that keeps us coming back. If I didn't feel guilty, maybe I wouldn't get up and go to church. But I feel guilty for what I did last night, so I'm going to go to church. Like that's, that's a cultural norm, I think, in our, in our context. I think guilt can be useful. I think it can be motivating. You know, I feel guilty about having that sixth lemon jelly-infused donut, which, by the way, wow. But I feel guilty about it. So that's probably, well, it has the potential to help me think differently about the next time I'm eating donuts, but it's not a sure thing. At the end of the day, I have to make a choice, right? Shame and guilt are different. Do you... Have any ideas of how they're different in your head? I, I have an idea. I do not, things. but the light bulb in my head just went. I was like, whoa, that's interesting. Because shame, that's a dirty word. I'm so shamed. So shame is a terrible thing. It's a the way word. I delineate them is guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad. Oh, yeah. And when you take out those couple of words from something that you did to who you are, You've moved from guilt into shame, and I don't think that, that it's very hard to come back. That's a sad place to be. And there are people who have been shamed by other people in their lives, parents, uh, authority figures, religious leaders, bosses. There's plenty of shame to go around. And if I could do one thing for humanity, I think I would get all the shame from all the corners of the earth and put them in a bag, and I'd... I'd send them off into somewhere in, in the universe where they would explode and be no more. I don't want anyone to feel that. Guilt can be helpful. I think typically it's used as a, a tax. I know someone who does something that he probably shouldn't be doing a lot, and he feels guilty about it every time he does it. And I think feeling guilty is the tax he pays so that he can do it again. So I think guilt can be a little bit manipulative. Right. Shame, though, is dehumanizing. Mm. So yeah, I um I think we want to make sure that we know those the, those differences. We want to use guilt as we can, but I think regret is is in another ballpark all by itself. I'm sitting here really quiet because I'm just waiting for you to ask that next punishing question. What is your biggest regret? No, I'm not asking you your regret. What no. question? What question are you afraid I'm going to ask? Uh, no, I, I'm not so much. I'm on my toes. I'm not scared. That's that's the better analogy. I'm on my toes. What's he going to ask, guys? Gals, I would, let me let me paint this picture right now. Doctor Carroll has these very nice glasses, and he just makes him look smarter than he already is. His hair is freshly combed. He has a nice shirt on, and I just am waiting for him to just... He's at his iPad slightly angled, slightly, so it's out without... I can't see what is on that screen. So I'm just waiting, impatiently, because every time he tilts his head down, and I can kind of see the screen in the lenses, but I don't read the text. Do you think that... Is that good? Just give me an affirmation. Was that a good... We're back to love languages. Okay, yes. Thank you. Yeah, I liked it. You were were too kind. Oh. Regret. Yes. Do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's good? Can we make a case to get rid of regret? I'll go backwards. We can make a case to get rid of regret. It is not good, and it is absolutely not necessary. Okay, well done. Well packaged. I don't... I, I really do. I think going the other way... Um. I don't remember what I even just said. Well, part of what <laughs> part of what I think about this is 
I can look back and say, gosh, I wish I'd made another decision there. But I am who I am in part because of the results and effects of that decision. Sometimes that's not a good thing. And I know that I'm coming from that place where I'm able to say I don't have those types of regrets. And I know that there are people whose lives have plummeted into moments and places of despair, and maybe they've never recovered from it. And I think in that case, I'm speaking from a place of privilege, and I want to be honoring and sensitive to the fact that there are people who wish that they could make different changes because literally their entire lives would have changed and could have been better. Maybe they would even still be alive had they made different choices. So I want to be sensitive to that. But from a kind of intellectual uh, perspective, as we're thinking about this, we have the freedom to think about this. Do I think regret serves any good? I, I don't. I can't think of it. I can say guilt probably serves some good. I can say shame doesn't. Regret somewhere in the teetering middle. a little bit. And I think regret to me is the translator between guilt and shame. It's the threshold over which one goes and becomes the other. And I, and I don't think that regret does any any real good. What I would like to do is on the front end be more responsible, make better choices so that regret isn't a conversation partner, but we're humans and it's going to happen and we're going to have to deal with it. I just wonder, how does regret function? Is it good for us? Does it have anything that we can say positive about it? I was just thinking that when you first asked, I mean, maybe maybe it can have a good function. Like, I regret that I... I don't know. I don't want to throw an analogy that's disrespectful to someone, but you mm-hmm. know, I regret that I did this. The outcome was this consequence. That consequence led me to a a brighter future. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line. Is like my past is my past. In part, it is who I am. It's not entirely, but it's part of what made me who I am. I don't want to have regrets because I don't want to go. I, we can't do it anyway. But why would I want to go back and change something? that in large part made me who I am. I think this, the secret is I just don't want to live there anymore. That to me is the power of the present versus the past. The past is something that we have to be aware of, but the past becomes present when we live there. So we have to acknowledge that I did that. That was indicative of who I was. I wish that I could have done that differently, but I didn't, and I am here now. And I want to go from here to where I'm dreaming to go, in part because of where I am. And where I am is in part because of what I did. So I think the past can inform the present and transform the future without it being uh, a regrettable thing that we have to wrestle with the rest of our lives. I don't want to live in the past. I have a regret from this morning. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What did you eat last night? No, I just had gotten my Flintstone vitamins out and it was too purple and I didn't put one back. So I had two purple Flintstone vitamins. That's that's so selfish. That's probably what would be characterized as a first world regret. <laughs> yeah, probably so. You know what I'm talking about though? Like the Flintstone vitamins, the purples are the worst. Why do those taste delicious? I don't, I don't know. You know, purple actually is one of my favorite colors. My kids know that. And uh, like, oh, daddy, look at your favorite color, purple. Yeah. But when I see those purple Flintstone vitamins, I just, I'm like, it. If you could go back and do something different from a professional perspective, <laughs> what would it be? Why are you laughing? Because that's like, we're really going there. I would have tilted my hand slightly to drop them back in, shaking the bottle, and then try it again. 
Okay. But instead, you know what? Acceptance is also a beautiful thing to have. That's kind of where I was going. I wanted to shift a tiny wee bit to your life as a professional person. So you're telling me that you were going there, but you're not at all. <laughs> is there no as a professional person, as a uh, as a manager, as an owner, as a boss? Is there something you would like to have done differently so that where you're going might seem better to you now? Are we talking about the Flintstone vitamins still? I can tell you mine. Thank you, because you're saving me here. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, let's, I'll wait. Go ahead. No, you're just letting me sink. I'm asking for a life raft. I think that had I had to do it all over again, I would have gotten into the world I'm in now sooner. I took a circuitous path to the world of therapy through the world of being a, a pastoral caregiver and pastoral counselor in the form of pastoral ministry. While I loved it and loved the people whom I encountered and had the privilege and honor of caring for, if I'm honest, and I can only be honest, I would have bypassed that and gone directly to where I am. Now I know what you're asking. I will remember it was 2011 or 12, Standing in the kitchen with Megan, we were dating essentially at this point. Wait, we would have been married, so we were married in 2012. So I remember getting a phone call. I could have been in a boy band, like a legitimate boy band. One Direction had just come back out or come out, not come back out. And having a conversation on two different occasions of being in boy bands. We're talking, you know, everything that I'd ever wanted in regards to fame and and so forth. And Megan just looked me in the eye and she said, "I'm not." dating someone in a boy band. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, she didn't sign up for that. And I chose, not only did I choose Megan, but from the professional standpoint, I chose the profession that I'm in, which I think is the ultimately the best decision. No regrets there. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no regrets. Um, so I, I, I kind of like the, I like, I like the path that I took. Hmm. The path that I took helped me realize that the music industry is tumultuous and dangerous and scary and lonely and all the things that I thought I wanted ultimately didn't want anyway. I mean, we all as human beings want, you know, the the satisfaction of knowing that we're making a difference in the world and that we have like this idea of being in re- relationships, whether it be those of romantic or, you know, our friendship that we're in. We, we long for connectivity. We long to connect, hear me talking or trying to talk really smartly like I'm Dr. Carol. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't redo any of the mm-hmm. things that I'd done to get me where I'm at. That's nice. Yeah, it feels that feels good. Yeah, I totally would. Yeah, I would. And again, it doesn't take anything away from what I experienced. But if you know, if if uh, everybody's got a dream and this, and I got to choose my own uh, destiny, I and I do, I did, but I would have done it a different way. But you said something that made me um, question a fundamental. Uh, attribute, maybe not attribute, a fundamental problem with humanity. I don't know if you knew that you did that or not, but you were you were talking about regrets, and we were talking about uh, fear in our previous podcast, and it brought me to the question: Are fear and regret, and then what else we could fill in the blank? Are those responsible for why it's hard for some people to be happy when other people are happy? Yes. Envy. Mm-hmm. 
these are not positive attributes of, right. of, of who we are as people. What good do they serve? Does They, what, they don't. Yeah, so why... I, I, I get to ask this question a lot of people, and I don't think they ever like it. In fact, I think I've become public enemy number one the split second after I ask it, and then it gets better from there. But when someone is doing something they wish they wouldn't do, I will ask, what do you get out of that? And I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. Because I could see where that could come across almost like a sarcastic... Yeah. Oh, because, yeah. you know, you have the whole Dr. Phil culture where they're like, well, how's that working for you? You know, which I right. think, by the way, is really disrespectful. But it's also uh, group therapy in mass uh, and for profit. So I don't think that's to be taken seriously. Not to say that people haven't been helped. But I think opposite of sarcasm, which has its roots that were in tearing flesh, right? That's why sarcasm is so bad for community, rips the flesh. I think I'm asking, what good do you get out of that that makes you keep doing that? People say absolutely nothing, but people do what they want to do. We do what we do because we get something out of it. We call it a payoff. We just haven't thought about it before. So maybe a payoff to having feelings of insecurity and needing uh, you know, people to kind of boost us or boost our confidence and pump us up sometimes. Maybe what we get out of that is we get to be in the center of someone's attention or uh, maybe why uh, we we overeat is what we get out of that is, well, we, we don't have to face some things that we might face if we let hunger have its say, which is the root of fasting, right, from a spiritual discipline side. I think we always get something out of what we do. And I wonder, what do we get out of envy? What do we get out of regret? I hand that to you. Mess, just just additional mess. I've been talking in the previous podcast and in today's podcast, just my mind is, is opened up in a cool way. Uh, I, I, like I said previously, I feel like I'm a positive guy. I feel like I try to think, I, I strongly believe that I'm where I'm at. Uh, I, I am where I am at because I think positively, I think there's nothing that I cannot achieve or do uh, I also think that I have room for continued rewiring and envy. Uh, it's not so much a struggle for me. If I can speak to it business-wise, when I look at other more successful businesses, business owners that are similar to me, I'm like, I, I don't envy them for being as successful as they are. I actually uh, look to them for for ideas, mm-hmm. leadership, guidance, you know, right. things like that. You know, find out, find people who are better than you kind of thing. Right. So uh, my challenge, and this isn't honestly a deflection because envy is not, Thankfully, and this isn't me just uh, um, saying this, this is not a struggle in my life. So for those that it maybe is a struggle, I think it's something that we should wash away from our minds and our bodies and just get rid of that. Get rid of that envy that you have when your friend gets a new vehicle pat them on the back and be totally cool with your 1998 Dodge Neon. I mean, that's great. It gets Mm -hmm. you from point A to point B, even though it does sound like a rocket ship. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that to be sarcastic. I'm trying to be just funny in the fact because I don't know any other analogy, but I mean. What do you think happens to a community when people begin to be genuinely happy for and with one another? You have this, uh, I picture, you know what I picture? The end scene in the cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. A group of people, young and old, hand in hand, rocking back and forth, singing. That's what I kind of picture. Interesting. Isn't that pretty? Well, I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, okay, we've used these words jealousy and envy um, 
in concert almost synonymously. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a difference. I I experience envy as a kind of anger. And I think underneath anger is fear and pain. I think fear and pain are kind of the, the twin power sources of anger. And anger is an important emotion. We need to honor it. It's it's what we do with it, how we respond to it. But it seems to me like envy has some anger in it that's like turned inward because of something that somebody has that we wish we had. So we're kind of angry at ourselves, and then we project that out you know, to them. Whereas I think jealousy is more resentment that there's somebody more successful than we are and that competes for someone else's affection or I think there is a kind of a subtle difference there. I don't think jealousy has in it anger. I think jealousy has in it just basic fear. And I think envy has anger built into it. Anger is, it is, that's an intense emotional reality that people, I don't think really have a a grasp on what to do about. Anger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think anger can funnel some beautiful things though. I really do. I think anger, you know, not picking up and throwing your chairs across the room, breaking windows and hurting people. I don't condone that whatsoever. But I think yeah. with anger, I think there's this like internal internalization and be like, oh my gosh. And then it just funnels. For me, it funnels creativity. It funnels solutions. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fun. That's good because a lot of people, I think, get stuck in that cycle of yeah. anger, which it renders them paralyzed. Whereas I hear you're saying it, it's like, it's a kind of muse for you. It's inspiring to you, I think, for a lot of people. Definitely don't, en- don't enjoy ang- being angry, uh, but I do find the, the positive outcome always tends to be something positive. I've experienced people who seem to enjoy being angry. That's weird. I think we can become addicted to feeling a certain kind of thing. I think I can be addicted to feeling happy. I think probably most of us are good with that. I think there are people who are addicted to sadness, and that's sad in its own way. I also think there are people who are kind of compelled toward anger because of how that feels. Like it's, uh, you know, as long as you're angry, you know that you're alive and you have this kind of sense of righteous indignation, a sense of being right. And there's a lot of anger that's out there in our kind of 24-7 cable news media. Um, There's just a lot of anger. Like I don't sense a lot of conversation like this around concepts and ideas that matter about which people might disagree there. It's always this sense of trying to compel or persuade or cure or fix or heal people so that they would become more like us as opposed to, Oh, that's an interesting thought that you have. Here's what I have. I wonder if there's a way that we can take the best of that and move to the middle that would create an action plan, which would do something for someone that's not going to be perfect for you or me, but at least we're doing something and we can both say, yeah, there's some good in that. I don't see a lot of that. No, you just see the split screens and the people's faces getting more and more red. Yeah. You know what I'm addicted to? And I'm okay to say it. I have literally one addiction in my life. Coffee. Are you really? I am addicted to coffee. It is a headache if you don't drink it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things I think about and <laughs> I smile. <laughs> I get so excited. I get so excited. It is delicious. You know, one of the last things my wife says to me before we go to sleep after she says I love you is, oh, yay, I can't wait to have coffee in the morning. What is something that you are addicted to? I've tried to be intentional about not giving things a place in my life that I didn't feel like I had any control over. So I can't put my finger on something that I would 
I would say honestly that I'm addicted to. I mean, I can I can think of things that I really like, but there isn't anything that I can I can think of that I could say I do not want to. Is it an addiction? Is it an addiction if it doesn't negatively affect your mental, physical, emotional? Yeah, I think addiction is really speaking to what your what your brain has been conditioned to do. So coffee think. is an addiction. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> well. There are a lot of arguments about this. Coffee is, you know, when I was uh, in in the in the church, they would make fun of that. How that was like the socially acceptable church drug, you know, coffee because of of caffeine and its effects on your body. I mean, it's obviously not good. Your kidneys hate you for it, but it's better than cocaine, right? Better than heroin, better correct? Than meth or alcohol. Um, I think you can be addicted to even things that are not adversely impacting your body. The question is, can there be too much of a good thing? Uh, yes. And I mean, absolutely. Yes. And that's not the question. I wasn't trying to say or ask it in that regard. I guess I was just asking, Hey, is it bad that I really look forward to eight o'clock and run upstairs in the morning and go into the office and drink a cup of coffee with my buddies? I think that's the secret is what you're doing with the coffee. Maybe I think that's you, what I'm addicted to. Well, in that case, maybe, maybe that's not an addiction. Maybe that's just a practice that gives you life and you yeah. appreciate it, look forward to it. I know that I look forward to, uh, to being here and doing this. Like, I've got to be honest. I, I think about these wish, conversations all the time. I wish people could read. I mean, sometimes I do wish people could read our text messages back and forth. Yeah. Just in the excitement that we have for yeah, sharing I, positivity it's and passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's passion. And I, I love, I love the conversations. I love thinking. This is, you know, uh, in previous podcasts, we are talking about friendship and relationships. And I don't know how many uh, friendships out there are based on having conversations like these that we're trying to peel back the layers and get, you know, deeper. It's at least what I'm, that, what I'm about. Um, but yeah, I think it's great that you enjoy your coffee. I know I love it that I, I, it's so funny. I love how much my wife loves coffee. Like, I think that's, I think it's precious. I support it. I want to, buy her nice coffee and I want to go and get her cups of coffee, um, you know, if, if I can. I think that's great for you. I think what we love really about it is the people with whom we share it. I think so. I think Joy loves the coffee, but I think she loves having the coffee in the morning with you before she or you that's take sweet. the girls to school. Yeah. That's, that's pretty neat. What book are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading The E-Myth Revisited. I have that book. You have it. It's, it's right there. You know where it is? It's propping up your keyboard, which doesn't connect to the computer in I, front of it. I don't desk. have... Okay. Let me be... Let me backtrack. <laughs> he's he's right, everyone. Underneath that is the Bible, and underneath that is the Constitution. <laughs> that is entirely not true. I have this nice desk across from the podcast desk that I don't have a glass top for yet. Yeah, you should get one of those. I know. So why did I prop the keyboard on that book. So it didn't scratch the wood. Right? Right. Hey, it doesn't bother me. I didn't write it. <laughs> so, okay, back to the book. Well, let us let me ask you, and I know the answer uh, is not the E-Myth Revisited because of where your copy is, but what are you reading? <laughs> you know a book I did read the other day? You oh, read the, a book in a day? Yeah. Dr. Seuss, so The Places You'll Go. That's a good book. It is a very good book. Mm. Yes. I once read that to an entire senior class. Those books uh, have themes in them that all of us could benefit from far it, more than children. Either. I wasn't saying that. It was funny. Yeah. It was really special. Mm-hmm. My Aunt Teresa uh, got me that book. I love that. Yeah. And she had written in it. And it's pretty neat. 
Is that your favorite children's book? No, it's not my favorite children's book. Uh, my favorite children's books were the ones like the Boxcar Children. Loved the Goosebumps books. You mm-hmm. know, I had all of those, and then I would collect them. You know, remember the Scholastic Book Fair previous yeah. podcast? <laughs> exactly, where you didn't buy books. Where I didn't buy. Well, yeah, I bought these but books. You did. They bit. We did back in the day. Um, I saw a T-shirt the other day that said "Bookmarks are for quitters." <laughs> that I great? like that. That's really good. Um, the my favorite children's book is called "The Boy Who Loved Words." Really? Mm-hmm. Why? I love words. You do. You're a wordsmith. It's this little boy who uh, who is kind of he, well. He loves words, and he's kind of a little uh, a little poet. He's always looking for the right word, and uh, he can't find it. Gets frustrated, and then he then he walks down the street and he hears all these negative words, and um, he ends up going all by himself somewhere, and he meets this girl, this little girl who loves music. And together with words and music, they kind of create a life together and it changes him forever. And he goes around kind of sending good words everywhere. So where out of an apartment building, these drawings would say, you know, like terrible words people would say to each other. And then all of a sudden he would go by and fling beautiful words. And all of a sudden relationships were changed and communities were changed all because of words. Why does that have to be just a children's book? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think there's such a thing as children's literature because every time I read that, I'm like, wow, that is, that's instructive. That's life, that's life giving. I mean, that's like, okay. Do you who are listening realize, and I said this the other day, we do this hospice caregiver award every month, a hospice caregiver, uh, someone employed by hospice of Western Kentucky. Um, there's people that send in nominations to, to nominate people for their exceptional care. In this instance, it was a lovely, lovely lady, Miss McCarty, Miss McCarty, who answers the phones for people, who is the first impression when people walk into the office mm-hmm. was the recipient of, do you realize that you are going to leave a mark? On someone, good or bad, you're going to be remembered for something. And the boy who loved words, Miss McCarty, you know, they went out of their way to make certain that they blessed people by saying, I hope you have a blessed day, or you're good enough, mm-hmm. or you look lovely. Something simple is life-giving. Mm-hmm. That's well, what she does. She's, she does that. She's the recipient of that. But it lines up with the boy who loves words. Do you know uh, at the end of the the liturgy, the church service, uh, there's something called a benediction mm-hmm. and it uh, benedict it means good word. It's you're sending people out with good words. Why is that so important? But it is. It, absolutely. It's in the it's, absence of good words. What are there? Bad words. Yeah. Or worse, nothing. Nothing. No words. Yeah. Nothing. I'm a big believer in language. I believe words matter, and I believe how we use them matters, and I believe that precise speech matters because I think we end up saying things we don't mean to say because we weren't intentional about choosing what we say. And I, people think I'm ridiculous for believing that, but I do. I totally do. I think again, another reason that we're friends, the previous podcast, we talk about that mm-hmm. things around here that we say it is with utmost intention, yeah. loved one, you know, into our care. Those, those are simple uh, uh, examples, but everything has to have intention behind it. Yeah. Be good to people, everyone. There's no reason not to be. Speak good words into people's lives. Tell the truth but do so kindly, speaking the truth so that love is what's born of it. It's not really difficult, is it? No, it shouldn't be. I think sometimes it is, but I think that's more about us than about, I think we just get in spaces where beautiful words are harder to come by. Yeah. Well, guys, gals, I, um, I don't even, what episode are we on? Do you know? I think this is eight. I think you're right. (laughs) 
doc, that's why Dr. Carroll. That's we'll why, find out. We'll find out. Or we'll die trying. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in and listening. Thank you all so much. See you next week, guys.